0: If you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be tracking through Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Um, I have the privilege of being able to spend Mother's Day weekend with my family after this. And I have uh, my lovely wife, Janae, who is just here for first service. We have two crazy boys. I have a three-year-old named Judah and a -a year-and-a-half-year-old named Levi. We have one on the way coming in September, a third boy. So you can be praying for me. Um, and, and I have to say, I, 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 with my, my year and a half year old, my three-year old, the, the tails are true. The twos are terrible. All right. And I want to pause for one second and address something that I think is a serious concern is I don't think we give enough warning about the threes. You're laughing. I don't think I, you've been there. I haven't. Okay. And, and, and there's just some attitude changes and behavior changes that I've, I've noticed in the last several months. It hasn't been very long. The, the need to form opinions, the manipulation that takes place to try to come out on top, the, the lack of sharing and, and the selfishness. And Enough about me. We're supposed to be talking about my three year old. I get carried away sometimes. You think I'm kidding, though? Like, it's in, in my own character. I mean, just the other day, yesterday morning, I was eating an egg sandwich for breakfast. And my year and a half year old climbs up on top of the chair and he's leaning onto the table on his tippy toes and he's doing, ah, bite. And my loving, gracious wife, the mother of my children and protector of the family, no. Uh, yells from the kitchen, are you sharing with your son? Did you give him a, I'm like, no, that's my food, right? Selfishness. In all seriousness, as a father, I've learned more invaluable life lessons than I could possibly imagine for my kids. And specifically in the area of grace. For starters, um, when my wife and I first got married, for about three and a half years, we didn't think we were able to have kids. And then the Lord graciously blessed our family. Amen? Um, And now we have a a third on the way. Um, some, Some of you guys know what it's like to be there as parents, where your kids get into trouble and the disciplinary side of you comes out to correct and and to spur them on towards love and good works. Well, my oldest was much like me as a kid, and my mother, I'm sure, will remind me today when she sees him. And he gets himself into trouble occasionally, so I have to discipline him. I either spank him or put him on timeout. For some reason, he doesn't like the timeout factor. Put him on the couch, and he's getting the concept of what it means to be sorry, to be broken, to feel um, guilt, and, and, and just for, for, you know, doing something wrong. And so usually it goes something like this. There's tears in his eyes. He, I'm sorry. I mean, he's really cute too. It makes it even worse. Curly head, crocodile tears. The kid's going to grow up to be an actor. Look for him when you, five, 10 years from now. And, uh, and then he continue. I'm very sorry, daddy. It's like, oh my gosh, right? Tugging on the heartstrings. But as a father, as a parent, a loving parent, do you think I long for my kid, my son, to stay in that place on the couch and for him to think that I'm mad at him all day long? No. No. As a father, as a parent, I I desire that my kids know justice so that they might know forgiveness. But I also long for my, my boys to know grace, for my son to know grace because my love for him Far exceeds anything else I have for him because he's my son. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I've titled this message, Grace That Moves Us Forward. Grace that moves us forward. And this is the concept I'd like to center it around. It's the idea of you are my son. You are my child. I'm not going to let you stay where you are because I love you. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told about this incredible work of salvation. It sets the stage for chapter 2. I'm going to read just a few verses so we get the context of where we're headed in the chapter 2. Beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. As we go into chapter 2, Paul pauses to do something very, very necessary. He pauses to remind us of this incredible work of grace. I'd like to touch on three attributes of grace in Ephesians chapter. Two verses 1 through 10. The first attribute we're going to see is this, is grace moves us unto life. Seen in verses 1 through 5. Grace moves us unto life. The second attribute we're going to see is grace moves us forward into relationship. And the third is this, God's grace moves us forward in our perspectives. And I would have you see this this morning, Just as if I was communicating to my son on the couch, not willing that he should remain where he is. So likewise, I would desire for us to see that God's grace is that which moves us forward and does not let us stay in the past. Because he is a loving father, he would say to you, you're my son, you're my child. I'm not going to let you stay where you are because I love you. My child, be moved Forward by my great love for you. I pray that you would be encouraged as you're reminded of God's grace this morning, as you are reminded of his grace. Beginning in verse one of Ephesians chapter two, God's grace brings us life. It says this, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. As many of you know, over the last several weeks, we've been tracking through the book of 2 Samuel on the weekends. We've been really hitting this topic of sexual integrity as seen in the life of David and Bathsheba. And there's areas in our lives where God is moving us forward as a church body and a church family. There's things that he's been drawing out and and the dark areas of our lives. He's been shining light into them. And he's desiring that we would move forward because we are in Christ. Because we are alive in Christ. Now verses 1 through 3 depict what it looks like for a person who is without Christ. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. Trapped in such things as sexual sin, secret sin, blatant rebellion. You name it, dead in their tracks. No breath, no hope. Trapped to serve a satanic master. Like a bear caught in a snare waiting to be put out of its misery. Thus putting them in a position where God stands against them. Why? God stands against such people who have not yet been made alive because a loving, living God cannot have a relationship with that which is dead. But praise God, verse 1 opens up in the past tense. Amen. And you, he made alive, who were dead, who were dead in trespasses and sins, God's heart is that we would move forward, that we would know the life of grace, the grace-giving life of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Look at verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Did you catch that one, church? God did not leave us sitting on the couch in our sin, in our shame. It says, because of the great love with which he loved us. If you've never sat in the reality of this truth, my prayer this morning is that you would feel the overwhelming, paradoxically freeing weight of this truth today. God loves you. God loves you. In Christ, through Christ, God loves loves you. God, like a loving parent with their children, desires to move you forward in a relationship with him. Now maybe maybe you've been there in your walk with the Lord, and I've been walking with the Lord for some years now, but you experience those dry seasons. Seasons in your relationship with the Lord where you feel like nothing makes sense. You open up the Bible and you can't put two sentences together and they They don't pop off the page like they used to. You walk into worship and you're like, I don't want to raise my hands. I don't have anything in me. I I feel like God's so far gone for me that, well, I don't know if he's ever going to return. If you're in a dry season in your relationship with the Lord, can I say something? Please don't go looking for anything else to fill your heart. It will never satisfy but it is guaranteed to leave you empty and dry. The prophet Jeremiah, I think, puts it best in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. He says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Anything other than God is brokenness. And a loving father doesn't give their child a broken gift. A loving father desires that his children would know him by giving them good gifts. You as parents desire to give your kids good things so that they may know your love for them. Right? I love giving my son presents. My son loves to get presents. He loves to get, but he, he's so excited. Mother's Day this morning, wife comes downstairs. Mommy, you're present, you're a present. He, he understands the idea of gifts. He loves it. There's love that's communicated there. A loving father does not give bad gifts. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, you've probably heard this before. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're in a dry season in your life and you feel in need of the loving grace of God that brings life, would you ask your heavenly father to refresh you? Scratch that. Don't ask. Beg. Why not beg? I know what it's like to hear my kids beg. Please, right? Sometimes with tears, depending on how desperate they are. It gets my attention. Why does it get my attention when my kids beg? Because it shows desperation. It shows desperation. When was the last time you begged for something from God? Desperate for an answer. Desperate for a fresh filling of his grace. Desperate for a filling of the Holy Spirit. In need of a breaking of your stony heart to be replaced with a heart of flesh. When was the last time you spoke to God like the loving heavenly father he is who desires to give good gifts. Sometimes when I discipline my son, he may feel like I don't love him. Nothing could be further from the truth. When we're in a spiritually dry season and you feel like you've hit rock bottom, you may feel like God has abandoned you or does not love you or does not care. Nothing can be further from the truth. The apostle Paul, who's writing Ephesians, also writes later in his life at a very low point and says, God, would you please remove this thorn in my flesh? Would you please take this thing away from me? Feeling like he's going to be caught in this struggle forever. To which the Lord replies to Paul and says this, And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Grace moves us forward. Look at how grace moves us forward in verse 5. Look at this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... Made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Did you catch that? Dead. It doesn't get much more profound than that. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving down Academy Boulevard, I'm not going to stop and pick up the skunk that's on the side of the road. I drive by that thing. There's been one that's been sitting on union for the last few weeks and you drive by this skunk and all of a sudden it it creeps into the vents and you're like, I don't want to roll down the window. I don't want to turn on the, it's just, it stinks it up. It's horrible. That's what death smells like. It's nasty. But that's exactly what God did for us when he sent Jesus Christ. In love, he sent Christ to die in my place, in our place, so that we might experience the greatness of his loving grace. So that we might experience life-giving grace to take that which is dead and to bring it back to life. He, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. When a person experiences the grace of God, they cannot help but be changed by it, Amen. In the same manner, it cannot and should not go unnoticed by the world. Grace has been given a great acronym. You've maybe heard it before. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Been given access to all the riches of God through Jesus Christ. I've heard it put well this way. Grace is God's favor to the undeserving. Without expecting anything in return. Sometimes we might do something for another individual expecting something in return, but that's not how the grace of God works. God's grace is his favor to the undeserving. Let me give you a few real life examples of grace. God's favor to the undeserving. Check this out. A rich man, an idol worshiper, hears God speak to him while living in Ur of the Chaldees. He chooses to turn his back on idolatry and to follow the voice of God. And as he turns his back and chooses to follow God and move forward in God's call of grace, he turns into a great man of faith. In fact, he becomes the father of the Hebrew nation. Abraham, that's grace. From idolatry to God worshiper, a wealthy yet crooked tax collector. A financial wizard sitting on a tree in Jerusalem. Jesus walks by and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to go to your house today. And as he's sitting and eating and dining with Zacchaeus, it says that Jesus spoke these words Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's grace a woman caught in the very act of adultery is cast at the feet of Jesus. The Pharisees say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such a one should be stoned, but what do you say? And in the character of our loving Lord, he gets down, doesn't answer, begins to write in the dust. And it says, from oldest to youngest, all the accusers begin to peel off one by one. And when... Jesus is left with just the woman. He looks at the woman and says, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She looks and says, No one, Lord. To which he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's grace. Jesus hanging on the cross between two guilty thieves. One of which turns to Christ and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns and says, today you will be with me in paradise. From death to eternal life in a moment, that's grace. The apostle Paul, the very man writing the book of Ephesians to us, previously known as Saul of Tarsus, a religious zealot, it is said that he wreaked havoc upon the church. Willing to put in prison any who are of the way. Meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And in a moment is transferred out of darkness and into the kingdom of the marvelous light of Christ. That's grace. Maybe I didn't read verse 1 loud enough. It says... At the very beginning, and you he made alive. That's grace, amen? If that stuff doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. When I hear that God can take the most undeserving of people, an idol worshiper like Abraham, a tax collector, an adulterer, a guilty thief, a murderer like Saul of Tarsus, zealous for everything that is against God, and to hear that he can reach down and God can extend life-giving, life-changing, life-altering grace, that tells me I have hope. My family has hope. Not because of me or anything that's good in me of myself, but because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. What an incredible story. I've heard grace put this way. Grace is that God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. God gives us what we can't earn and God supplies what we never deserved. When you've experienced the grace of God, you have everything you will ever need until you meet Jesus Christ face to face, until he brings you home. No wonder John Newton penned the words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not only does grace move us forward from death to life, it moves us into a place of relationship. Look at verse six with me, please. It says, and by grace, you have been saved and raised up together. We've been raised up together and made, he's made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love this. God's grace moves us from the couch of our brokenness and it raises us into the loving arms of Christ. There are some of us who just need to understand that aspect of God's grace today. The loving embrace of a heavenly father. When my son is broken over his sin and he's sitting on the couch, I don't just leave him there. As soon as I realize there's brokenness, I go over, I extend forgiveness, and then I extend grace. I pick him up into my arms. I wrap my arms around him. I wipe away his tears. I look him in the eyes and I reassure him of my love for him. That my love for him is just as vibrant and passionate and real as the day he was born. As the day he became my son. And then from there, I make sure that he gets it. We do our little Eskimo kiss thing where you do the like, little nose. He loves that. That's our little thing. And then I go from there. I'm like, all right, Eskimo kiss. I'm like, let's go play. And we jump off the couch and then we go play. God's grace moves us forward. There are some who choose to continue to sit in the weight of that guilt and condemnation for which God is already forgiven. The Christian life should not be gloomy or burdensome. It should be the most fun, exciting, life-giving thing in the world. We've been loved and set free. We've been made alive in Christ. I was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Sometimes we need to let grace, the grace of God, restore a relational embrace between him and us as our Father to move us forward Enjoy. The things that God may be dealing with you on, and again, we've been tracking through things over the last several weeks, are not for the purpose that you might know wrath or anger. If God's been dealing with you on things in, in your heart and your mind in your marriage and your relationships, it's so that you might know his love. The sexual sin that maybe was brought to light in this awesome Integrity Conference is so that you may know and experience a deeper relationship with Christ and not walk in guilt and condemnation. Last week's message really hit home for many as we looked at David and Absalom and what it looked like to want to restore relationship and then how Joseph did restore relationship with his brothers. And maybe you have a longing desire to restore a broken relationship somewhere within a family unit, within a friend. Whatever that is, that is not there for no reason. That brokenness that you feel and that longing you feel to restore a relationship is simply a picture of God's desire to always walk in a restored relationship with those who are in his family. The things that God has been dealing with you on are for the purpose that you might know his love, not his wrath. Romans chapter eight, verse one. I love this verse. If you don't have this highlighted, underlined, or any of those things, do something with this verse. Circle it. I don't care. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation. Not under wrath any longer for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. That means it has picked me up and moved me forward from the law of sin and death. Amen? God's grace moves us forward, family. And the most wonderful thing about it is it's not dependent upon anything we can do. Nothing in our ability. He has raised us up. He made us alive together with Christ to experience the riches of His grace, but not because of anything we have done. God's grace, aspect number three, brings that healthy perspective. Look at verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. This amazing grace is not conditioned on our ability or our goodness or our self-qualification. This might be a shift in perspective for some because sometimes we, we play the child card where as children, we think, well, in order to make mom and dad love me again, I better be good. I better do this. I better try You try to earn back that parental love for some reason. Or sometimes we, we do that with God. Like we can earn his favor back. But you as loving parents, know that's not how it works. You love your child no matter what. You love him because grace comes out of you. We've been qualified by the work of Christ, not by anything that we've done. Listen to Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. As parents, we would do anything to keep our kids from feeling pain and suffering. Can you see the heart of a father here? Speaking of Christ on the cross. Continuing on, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Colossians chapter one, verses 12 and 13 says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us, God qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Amazing. Bear with me one moment. I want to paint another picture of grace. Would you close your eyes for a second and walk through this with me? Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, innocent, bruised, bearing our griefs, carrying our sorrows, looks down from the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine how those words would have rang throughout the heavens? How every angel standing ready for the signal to come down, to bring justice, for holiness to call down, judgment upon unholiness, and for them to hear throughout the heavenlies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's grace. Amen? You can open your eyes if they're closed. Nothing that we have earned but something that we get to partake in. Nothing that we can boast in, but something that is made ours by accepting what Christ has done on our behalf. Talk about a perspective shift. Totally undeserving. And it doesn't stop there. I want to end with verse 10. I'm going to end with verse 10. It says this, for we are are his workmanship in the greek the word workmanship means poema his poem literally a well thought out planned out expression of beauty heard and seen by the world so that the world may know of this grace that god has given unto you for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does that sound like backwards movement or standing still? No. It's forward movement. It's forward movement. Grace moves us forward, church. And we've heard these three aspects. God's grace moves us unto life, from death to life. It moves us into relationship to experience the riches of of his grace. It radically changes or brings clarity to our perspective because it's nothing that we can do or nothing that we can earn. And after hearing of this amazing grace, what then is our reasonable response? Should be our question. After hearing all that God has done, what is our reasonable response? Can I give you the answer? I'm just so eager. Walk in it. Walk in the grace of God. Let the grace of God move you forward. Look at verse 10 one more time. For we are his workmanship, that expression of beauty created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wherever you're at today, make the choice to stand up and walk and what our loving heavenly Father has prepared for us. Walk in life, walk in relationship with him or the restoration of relationship of those around you. Walk in the perspective that it's a free gift. Some might say, "How do we do it? I'm going to give one suggestion. Do life together. We come in here week in and week out on a Wednesday night on a weekend. Do life together. This is a, a, a gift of God's grace that we have the ability to do life with one another. With The person to my left or my right or wherever you're sitting in the, the upper room or the cafe, do life together. Spur each other on with love and good works. Remind each other of God's grace and that it's been extended to you and that it's not earned by any of you. Do life together. Let's move forward together as a family. I'm going to have the worship team come up and close. And as they do, I want to give a chance for those of you to respond. Maybe this morning you're in need of prayer. Maybe you feel like you need to take that position of, of begging your Heavenly Father for a, a refilling of His grace or a fresh perspective of His grace. Would you come forward? We're going to have a ministry team down here that longs to pray with you guys. That desires to to enter into intercession before the Lord to ask for things on your behalf with you. Maybe for the first time, the grace of God pierced your heart. And for the first time, you've realized it's something you need and you've never experienced. Romans chapter 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, unto saving grace. If that's you and you desire a relationship with Jesus Christ to walk in that grace, come down, let us pray with you. Let us answer any questions you might have. For others of you, Maybe you're doing well and you're excited to be reminded of God's grace. Maybe it's time you simply take your spouse's hand during this Mother's Day weekend and ask for God's grace upon your marriage. Maybe it's getting on your knees for a moment and asking for God's grace in your season of singleness. Whatever it is, seize the moment. That's my plea. Whatever you do, don't do nothing when you hear of God's grace. The one who can hear of God's grace and feels no need to move towards the grace of God is he who needs it most of all. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we've seen and we've heard of your grace this morning. Father, would you move us forward to experience your love in a deeper way than when we first walked in. We thank you for all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Oh, how deep your love is for us, Father. We thank you in your name.